this morning the most important event in all of all mankind. Christ is risen.
May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Our loving Lord Jesus, Savior, Redeemer, your tomb is empty. You are risen from the dead, opening the way for us to come to the Father. Hallelujah. Emmanuel, what Satan meant for evil, you meant for the good of all who accept your gift of salvation from our sins. Not only that, but new life in you, a clean slate, deeper meaning to our lives, greater joy and purpose than we could ever have of our own making. In times of pain or sorrow, you are the one who comes alongside us to comfort and strengthen. As Psalm 47 proclaims, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Even during this holy week, try as we might, we've fallen short. I've fallen short. Each day seems like a battle with our own tongues, minds, and actions. We want more of you, Jesus, but it seems a constant struggle to get out of our own way and let you do the leading. We silently confess our shortcomings, our sins to you now, that you might lift these burdens from our shoulders. Abba, your word is filled to overflowing with good news. Everything we need, instruction, direction, correction, provision, love, forgiveness, comfort, hope, strength, and healing. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. We lift up before you now the citizens of Brussels, grieving for those who were injured and killed in the recent bombings. May your Holy Spirit bring healing to the injured, comfort and strength to the families grieving such an unimaginable loss. We pray that those responsible would not only be brought to justice, but that they would encounter you and turn away from evil. For those in our church family that have lost loved ones, may you hold them in your embrace. For those who are sick or injured, for your healing touch. For those with employment or financial struggles, that you would provide lovingly according to their every need. The Apostle Paul teaches us in his letter to the Roman Church, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Trusting in you, our risen King. Amen.
you kind of get the sense that God is into surprises, don't you? Uh, recently, I got to reunite with my childhood best friend. I hadn't seen him in 17 years. We hadn't laid eyes on each other. We reunited with our kids. It was surreal to see him. It was like, you, you're bald, you're old. And he's like, you look old too. And, and as we started to catch up, he said, so what did you do after college? We hadn't seen each other since high school graduation. And then it got weird because I was like, oh, uh, I, was, I was a college pastor for 10 years. And he's like, what? You? He was so caught off guard, and it, and it got, re, got me remembering that time of my life when I was being surprised myself by what was happening inside of me. I surprised my parents on Easter morning my freshman year in college, telling them, hey, I'm going to leave tomorrow at 6 a.m. and go to this thing called a sunrise service with this girl. And they're like, wait, you're waking up early? You're going where? To church? And a few months later, when literally like lights went on, inside my heart when something happens. And it wasn't just trying to impress a girl anymore. There was something happening to me. God is into surprises. And he might be surprising you in your life right now. He might be doing something. He might be teaching you something. He might be reminding you of something. He might be taking something away because he got something better. I'm going to invite up Michelle LeBeau because Jesus is doing something in her life too. Well, um, I am, some of you may not know, I'm here on staff as the community life director. I've been in ministry now for 14 years. Um, My father's a a pastor, so that makes me a PK, a preacher's kid. And in ministry, as many of you know, um, it can be depleting. You know, you think, oh, she has it all together. She's, you know, so close to Jesus. I mean, she's obviously alive in Christ. And I, I am, but... It's so much more than that, and I have to seek out people to pour into me, just as all of you need people pouring into you, and the biggest gift to me is my small group. I lead a small group of 13 women every Friday for the last five years, and we are going through the Armor of God study right now, and I can't tell you how much it has filled me up at a point when I was kind of feeling rather depleted. And the thing that really has struck me the most is that the first piece of armor that we're to put on every day is the belt of truth. And when I think of the belt of truth and how warriors went into army and the first thing they put on was this big, huge belt, it girded them from um, living in, you know, fear and from flopping all over the battlefield. What the belt of truth does is it gives me stability and it gives me balance in my life, and it enables me to go into battle each and every day knowing that, I, that God's truth is what I stand on. And I've been able to use it as a teaching moment with my 19-year-old son who's been feeling rather lost lately. And um, I've been praying for God to show him signs of hope, signs of hope, signs of hope. And the other day, doing this study, I said, honey, he got some good news, some really good news. And I said, honey, don't you see, this is God working in your life because you are believing that you are who he says you are. And you are putting on that belt of truth every day and you're going out into battle and he loves war and uh, he loves studying wars. (laughs) Studying wars, he loves studying battles. So I felt like that was a teaching moment. I could tell him that when you put on that belt of truth, you're gonna be able to stand firm and you know that God is faithful and that God will get you through this. And he said, you're right, mom. I totally believe that. So uh, thank you for allowing me to share. Thank you. So you might have a story to tell too. Tell it today. You might not have a story, but guess what? Jesus might surprise you today. So be on the lookout and be ready. Would you please stand and greet each other?
On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood behind them, beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you, while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. Christ died for us. Come on.
amazing and wonderful day. Uh, not the least of which, I think I saw Scott Schimmel wearing a tie. I don't think I've ever seen him wear a tie. I, I, I think Carrie maybe tied that for him. It was fantastic. Uh, I hope you're having a great morning. And it's a great morning to be in the presence of God together, that's for sure. I want to continue uh, the narrative following what you heard the worship team read. Uh, it goes on. Uh, there's a parallel story to the one that we heard read. It's also in Luke 24. It says, now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. Now, this, was this because they were so preoccupied that their emotional state, uh, their worldview uh, that had been blown up, kept them from recognizing him? Uh, or was it something that God was setting them up to be surprised? I don't know. We don't know. But he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And, and this was a sort of a, a disruptive moment for them. It says here, they stood still, their faces downcast. And it's sort of like, do you want to tell them or do I tell them? Because it's a bit intrusive, and here's why. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only person in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have been happening here? So it's a little bit of a, I can't believe this. I'm in this horrible, distraught state, and you're asking me to explain something that you probably should know. Where have you been? But it's grief that's driving this. Have you ever had an experience where you feel like your whole world just caved in on you? Of course you have. That's what life is. A series of those. What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Part of this implied the one who would redeem Israel was that he was going to make life easier for us, get rid of the Romans, elevate us, make life the way it's supposed to be, Jews in a Jewish state. Now, they're talking to a Jew, and this is probably what perturbs them, that this Jew that they're talking to doesn't know what's going on, apparently. They go on, and what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. Now, this is another sermon for another time, this, that line right there. We'll, we'll come back to that some other time and, and look at that phrase. I'll just leave it as it is. Uh, no comment necessary. 
They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions, these would be men, went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. What a shock. But they did not see Jesus. He said to them, I really feel bad for you. No. He said to them, how foolish you are. Pay attention. Listen up. How slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? Questioning, what kind of redemption do you think he came to bring? A political solution? An economic solution? He came to change everything. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. This roadside inn. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And then he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Uh, Christ wants to take you from heartburn to burning hearts. He wants to take us from being so confused about what he's up to in the world that we start to see it from his perspective. This is the disruptive presence of God that we celebrate today. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them, assembled together and saying, It's true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. Uh, he may as well have said boo because they were so taken back by this. They were shocked. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your minds? Now, especially for the guys who walked with them to Emmaus, they were probably thinking, this is the second time he said we're missing something. What are we missing? What is going on here that we're not recognizing, that we're not seeing, that we're interpreting absolutely opposite to what apparently is going on here? Because I am scared, and I am confused, and I have no idea what's going on. And so Jesus is going to clarify that for them. Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. It's me. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they, were, while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? Now notice, they went from being shocked and awed to delighted and, and, and enjoy, but they still don't recognize quite what's going on. Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish. He took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Moses, the Torah. Prophets, the Nevi'im. The Psalms, the Ketuvim. Law, prophet, the writings. They call this the Tanakh, Torah, Nevi'im, Ketuvim, Tanakh, the, the Bible that Jesus read. So from the Bible that Jesus read, Jesus revealed to them this good news, the gospel, this transformational message personified, embodied in him. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name 
to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. What began then continues today. So shocking to think, right? In fact, later when Jesus said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. This is the uttermost parts of the earth he was talking about. We are the ragged edge of civilization. We're the last outpost in the known world. The gospel has come to us, so we're part of this outpouring, this outflow of what we're reading about in Luke's passage of his gospel, chapter 24. The Messiah will suffer, rise from the dead on the third day, repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached, beginning right here. And he says, you are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. I hope God has disrupted your life. If he has not yet disrupted your life, I hope you're open to being disrupted by his presence. I hope you're willing to let down your guard. Stop being so heavily defended against him. Not spending all your best energies holding him off. The tomb is empty. Christ is risen. This is the heart of the gospel. The good news. This is a shocking, scandalous message. Not just of the cross, but of the empty tomb. And not just of the empty tomb, but of the risen Lord. Easter celebrates Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Easter presents witnesses to Jesus' resurrection. Easter proclaims that Jesus is the Savior and Lord of the world. So three points I'm going to touch on. Let me read the points and I'll go back and, and give you what supports these points. Easter calls us to have faith in what God has done through Jesus Christ. First point. Second point. In Christ we see the majesty of God revealed in practical ways. Everything God does is practical. Third, because Jesus is Lord, we receive the salvation promised by God. So the first point, Easter calls us to have faith in what God has done through Jesus Christ. Easter does not call us to put our minds in neutral. Easter calls us to put our minds in gear, to engage with the mind of God, the very heart of God. Faith in Jesus Christ is a matter of compelling, convincing, be believable evidence. Now, it's not to say that you can marshal arguments to talk somebody in or out of believing. But it is to say this, that Jesus' resurrection from the dead and everything that precedes it and everything that follows from it is compelling, convincing, believable evidence. We believe the truth revealed in Jesus' life, death, resurrection withstands scrutiny. About every generation, somebody takes it on themselves to, to look at it and take it apart. Uh, a famous attorney, a, a British attorney, said, I'm taking it apart. And he ended up writing a book called Who Moved the Stone? He was a, he was a litigator, a famed lawyer. But at the end of his study, he said, I've got to say, I think it's what they say it is. He became a follower of Christ. Somebody read that book. They were so inspired but skeptical, they ended up writing a book called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Somebody read that book and the book before it, a Chicago Tribune, hard-nosed uh, investigative journalist, uh, and ended up writing a book called uh, The Case for Christ. And so it goes. A good argument does not lead a person to Christ, but an honest, open heart prepares the way for Christ. Jesus' resurrection is the foundation for our faith. But it's not just an interesting intellectual fact that we're talking about or celebrating here today. It's more than that. Let me tell you why. Jesus was perfect in every way, but that wasn't enough to inspire faith, was it? These, these people who had walked with him for three years had seen that he was perfect in every way. They saw the things he said, the things he did, the alignment, the perfect congruency of his life. And yet it wasn't that that inspired them to have faith because they all scattered after his, after his crucifixion. His atoning sacrifice on the cross wasn't enough to inspire faith. They all saw the way he died, the way he forgave the people killing him. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They saw how he died, and even that didn't inspire faith. It was awesome and awful. But what it did is it, it crushed their spirit to see him crucified and placed in a tomb where they assumed he would rot, and all their hopes are dashed. The fact of his resurrection isn't even enough to inspire them to have faith. Because after all, here they were on the resurrection day, and they weren't believing it. It wasn't the resurrection as a fact 
as an interesting event or circumstance that compelled them to have faith. What was it? It was Jesus' presence. It was Jesus' presence following his resurrection that inspired them to have faith in him. To this day, it's Jesus' presence in people and us being present to Christ. When you bump up against Christ, when you open your heart and your mind to him, when you start walking with him, it's truly life-changing. But again, it's disruptive because it's no longer me pretending to control my life or the world around me. It's no longer me investing all my energies in defending against him. It's no longer me saying, God, I, I demand and expect you to convince me of things. Answer all my questions and then maybe I'll consider. With all due respect to anybody who, who does not believe, it's simply the case that we need to be present to God in an authentic, awesome, I mean, uh, honest way. Because Jesus Christ is present to this day to those who are willing to open their hearts and minds to him. Here's why. The, the witnesses didn't change the message. The message changed the witnesses. They started the day saying, I don't, I, I don't believe it. I'm skeptical. They ended the day in awe and wonder in his presence. In fact, it's probably even more accurate to say this, that the messenger changed them from skeptics into being witnesses. They were reluctant believers when people were telling them Jesus had risen from the grave. Now they were enthusiastic witnesses to declare his glory among the nations. A radical shift in a very short time. And so we, we believe in him, not just ideas about him. Our faith is in him, not just faith in faith. Even sincere faith isn't enough because we can be sincerely wrong. We all know that. And so it's Jesus' presence that inspired faith in him. Second point, in Christ, we see the majesty of God revealed in practical ways. Everything God does is practical. We have a way of saying, oh, that's a spiritual thing, as if it's a special category of non-knowledge. Knowledge that is spiritual, so therefore it's so flimsy and it lacks substance, it's not credible. The fact is that we see the majesty of God always revealed in practical ways. Again, didn't you feel your heart burning within you, being in his presence? Wasn't it amazing? He asked for something to eat, and he ate fish. We touched him. We saw his hands. We saw his feet. We knew he was dead, but now he's alive. Practical. And like these men walking to Emmaus, Jesus clears the fog of our fear and our fallibility. Fallibility simply means we can be wrong. But it's our fear that captures us. We're afraid of looking stupid, being naive, being taken, being had. We're afraid to let go of those things that we think will support us, the things to which we make attachments that become idols of a sort. If I just have this, then I'll be okay. If I can just accomplish that, if I can just achieve this, if I can only overcome this, it's what I wear, it's what I drive, it's, it's where I live, it's, it's who I date, to whom I'm married, to whom I'm not married. It's all the things that, that we put in place because we're fearful. Because if I don't have this, I'm exposed, I'm vulnerable. It's hard to believe that there's a savior, though we definitely want one, until we have this incredible impact, the practical impact of God up close and personal. And yet we run and we resist this. But then when we encounter him, our hearts are lit up with the glory of his living, transforming presence. We're lit up. We can't explain it. In fact, we need a new vocabulary. How do you begin to explain this to people? How do you start to tell your family, your friends? We experience faith in him as a relational reality, as beloved sons and daughters by faith. The abstraction of a resurrection gives way to this incredible, tangible sense of, I am beloved. I no longer feel like a betrayer of God. I feel like I've been invited to be a son or daughter by faith. John writes it this way. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. It's God's work from start to finish. We either cooperate or we don't. We participate or we don't. 
John goes on to say uh, in his gospel, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have life forever. Full life. Eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. The world already stands condemned. Any of us standing before a court of law could be found wanting and lacking. We all know that. And that's why we work so assiduously to present the idealization of the self we want to present. We're so fearful that we'll be discovered as the real people we are. And yet when we become real before God, all of a sudden it's like the weight of the world has been lifted off our shoulders. And we hear him say, you are my beloved. Yes, but you are my beloved. Yeah, but I did that you. The final point. Because Jesus is Lord, we receive the salvation promised by God. Not on our merit, not because we deserve it or we've earned it, because it's an incredible act of God's love and God's grace. His sacrifice on our behalf. Because he wants us to know the life for which we were created. Well, save from what then? Save from a false story of who you are. A false story of, of to whom you belong. Because your life is more than your job or lack of it your money or lack of it, your fame or achievement or lack of it, your failures, no matter how many they may be. You weren't created to be a slave to sin. And you might say, well, I'm not a slave to sin. I'm a very good person. Okay, I'm just saying anything that falls short of God comes under the category of sin. Going back to that then comparative and competitive way that we live. I'm okay compared to so-and-so. If I can just do better than they did, and not as bad as those people do. And that's a, that's a fearful, slave-like mentality. It's a scarcity way of approaching life. And God offers us a prosperity way, not as in, as in the form of materialism, but as in fullness of life. That we're, out, we're allowed to be vulnerable and say, here's where I am in Christ. I love the way Michelle Scott talked about that. Throughout the morning, we've heard people talk about these things not as hero stories, how awesome I am. The story's about here's how awesome God is and being able to share part of the journey with us. And, and in hearing these stories, don't you say, that's me, I'm like that. It's not being, saying, being able to stand up and say, I've arrived. It's saying, I'm on this journey with the living God in the company of people who are coming alive in him. And so the raw honesty and the authentic vulnerability is par for the course. We've stopped posing, stopped pretending. We're simply enjoying being beloved sons and daughters of the Lord. And so what are we saved for? Well, we're saved to be free in Christ, for the life he's created us and is redeeming us to experience. We're created in the image of God to live in his grace and to walk in his love, to walk in his grace, to live in his love. Those are the defining and describing factors for us from now on. His love in us, his grace for us, his love through us, his grace through us. The grace and love to be able to tell the truth and confront when necessary. The grace of love to be able to comfort. So when we believe in Jesus, he writes a new and better story in us in the context of the very real world in which we live. It's not a pretend make-believe everything is perfect story. It's that this is the new plot with all the conflicts and setbacks, all the trials and tribulations, but the plot that he's writing in us is going somewhere very good. Saturday, I'm going to go up to the Bay Area, and I'm going to be at a memorial service for a 24-year-old man, a wonderful young man who died this week. The guy was so full of life in every way. When he graduated from Point Loma a couple years ago, I was standing in our front yard talking to him. He was just this incredible guy. And I got the word this week that he, he died. What a devastating thing for his family. They're in the midst of grief and loss, as you can only imagine, right? Unless you've been through this, then you know full well. But the great thing is his dad said, hey, remember when that 15-year-old Jewish kid showed up at that Young Life Club and accepted Christ? He's talking about himself. I said, yeah. And I met that beautiful young woman who became my wife. We built our life around Christ. They've been wonderful parents. They had a wonderful son. They're surrounded by people giving them all kinds of support and comfort and love. They are in deep, deep grief and loss, and yet they have hope. 
See, this is the power of the new plot, the new story that Christ is writing in us. It doesn't remove conflict. It gets us through it. It doesn't remove adversity. We not just go through it anymore. We grow through it. You see, so it will be becoming more alive in spite of the things we experience in life because of the very presence of Christ in the midst of our life. And so now we find that we've joined this community of all the other witnesses to his resurrection. And this couple, this dear couple, at this moment of grief and loss on Saturday will not only express that and be honest and open, and there'll be a lot of tears in that massive crowd of people who'll be there, but there'll also be this, this incredible sense that we are witnesses of the resurrection. As Christ has risen, so shall he. So shall we. And so we're commissioned to declare his glory among the nations, not as know-it-alls, not as authorities on all things spiritual, simply as people saying, I'm not trying to talk you in or out of anything, I'm just telling you, this is the incredible thing I've experienced in Christ. So because Jesus Christ lives, we believe in him, we walk with him, and we're learning to serve him one day at a time. In our successes and in our setbacks. Here's why. Christ is risen. Christ is risen Indeed, I'm going to say Christ is risen, and if you believe this, then you, your response is, Christ is risen indeed. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. And as my dear friend Tom says, Christos anesti, alithos anesti, right? So Lord Jesus, this is, in any language, what we proclaim, what we celebrate, what we declare, that you are Lord, and because you are Lord, we can be saved, and here's how. We can come to know you as your beloved sons and daughters by faith. I pray that for each one of us here. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In a moment, the ushers will come forward to receive the morning offering. God is at work in and through this church, and I am blessed to be a part of the staff here so I can see that work each and every day. And when we give back to God, we are joining him in the work that he is doing in and through us here at La Jolla Community Church. We are grateful for your gifts. If you are new, just visiting for today, don't worry about giving. Um, you can just pass the basket. We just are so glad you're here, and we would love to get a chance to meet you. So please visit the guest information table where we have some gifts for you out on the patio. And also in the bulletin is a connect with us uh, slip if you just... Fill that out and give us your email address. We'll get you on our weekly email list so you can hear about all the amazing things God is doing here. We'd like nothing more than to come alongside you wherever you are in your walk with Christ and help you take those next steps. Uh, speaking of next steps, next Sunday between services is Oasis, which is our orientation for newcomers. Pastor Steve and I lead that out in the surf shack between services, so that's at uh, 1015 next week. And then um, here at La Jolla Community Church, we believe that people grow and people are transformed when they study and apply the Bible in community with others. So we have a couple of opportunities for you to uh, join some other people and study God's word. Pathways to Faith is a class that Diane and Phil Gemmett lead twice a year. That will start April 10th during the second service. There's info in your bulletin here, so take a look at that. And then a Hebrews Bible study will start on April 6th, Wednesday evenings here. It's just an hour and 10 minutes, 7 to 8, 10. And uh, uh, just a really neat Bible study that will coincide with Pastor Steve's sermon series. So take a look in your bulletin. That info is all there. And then if we can be praying for you, we are a church rooted in prayer, and we would love to be lifting you up to the Lord this week. Uh, you can write out your prayer request on this little sheet in your bulletin and place that, give that to an usher as you leave, and we'll send that out. We have 100 people on our prayer chain who would love to be praying for you this week. And you can also go right out in front here to our prayer garden after the service. We'll have some people there that will say a brief prayer with you if you would like them to do that. They would love that opportunity. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege of being able to give back to you out of the abundant blessings you give us each and every day, Lord. You give us each day our daily bread, and we are indebted to you, Lord, so we give back to you now. We trust that in your hands these gifts will be used to draw more people into a personal saving faith in you. Amen.
So, no matter who you came in here with today, be sure you leave with Christ. Accept him into your life, perhaps for the first time. Say, Lord, I want this. I want to be in a relationship with you. Meet me where I am. Your doubts are at the end of faith. It's the beginning place where God meets you to build faith in you. Your despair, your sin, your anger, whatever it is that is, is causing you to hold him off is the place he wants to meet you. If you've been far from him and you feel like, well, I don't really deserve to come back. You're, this is a homecoming for you today. This is a reunion. You're welcome. You're back in the family. Walk out with that full assurance that you are his beloved. And if you feel like everything is going so well, you don't need God, I'd really like to talk to you before you leave. <laughs> because God is enough. And it's enough that you are in a community with people who are walking with you as you grow, as you go, as you learn to respond to him one day at a time by his grace. And so now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord who loves you more than you can ask or imagine give you every good and perfect gift, both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.